If you have your Bibles, let's take them out. Let's open them to Genesis chapter 13. We're four weeks into a 27-week series from Genesis 12 to 25. The main character, of course, of these chapters is Abraham. The central theme is the nature of biblical faith. When we say biblical faith, Michael said this. I want to remind us, we're not just talking about that moment in time when you believed. Yes, that's biblical faith, of course. When you put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, saved and redeemed, born again by faith alone. Yes, it's faith, saving faith, but we're looking at that faith as, ex- as, ex- as it is expressed, not just in that moment, but over a lifetime. What does it look like, can I say it this way, to be faithful, moment by moment, day by day, trusting God's word to be true. Sanctifying faith, how we grow and become more and more like Christ. Hebrews 11.1 1 is probably the clearest biblical statement on faith that we have. You'll remember this probably. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things. What are the next two words? Not seen. Now just think, I mean, think about that for a minute. It's the conviction of things you can't see. Well, the implication of that could be that our sight is one of our greatest obstacles to biblical faith. That sounds strange to me, but certainly implied in that passage. I was in Hawaii a few years back and I was playing golf there. We're playing a round of golf, and we're playing in this golf course that is on the literally on the side of a volcano. You know, dormant, of course, but you know, volcano and the golf course is built on the side of this volcano. And uh, it was one of those times when we're playing golf, and I I could not see what the ball was going to do on the green. I know everyone in here is not a golfer, but you, know, you got to roll that little ball into that little hole on that smooth surface called a green. And when we started, you know, I would look at it and I would say, well, this, this, this is going uphill. I need to hit this really hard to get it to the hole. Everything in, in me saw that. And uh, this is one of those courses, very nice, by the way, where you had a caddy. And so the caddy looked at me and said, now, you're going to want to hit this putt about 50%. In other words, you want to hit it about halfway because it's all downhill. Like, are you kidding me? That's uphill. And for the life of me, you know, when I'm standing there, I could not make my body do something different than my eyes saw. I hit it. It goes off the green. <laughs> you see, my eyes were lying to me, deceiving me. It's a hard statement to, to, to accept, but the fact is, there are times when you cannot fully trust what your eyes clearly see. You know, when life is only about what we see, it's not about, a, it doesn't become a bad round of golf. Can I, can I say this without exaggeration? It becomes a bad life. It becomes a a life lived poorly. It becomes, according to the scripture, uh, a, a life uh, wherein we actually get way less than God intends for us 
And we do way more harm to ourselves and those around us. This is just going to explode from the page. This is going to be so evident in the text that we will look at today in Genesis 13. The emphasis in Genesis 13 is on, here's the, the message, it's on a contrast between the faith of Lot and the faith of Abram. And so this is where I want us to spend most of our time. It's 18 verses, but I want to spend most of our time there. Uh, Just a bit of context before we read it. We do remember Genesis 12, especially verses 1 through 3, it is the pivotal moment in redemptive history. Rob Sweet did an amazing job as he taught and said, you know, this this is the don't miss moment. Why is it the don't miss moment? Because God's original intent... Because God in this moment describes how he's going to bring to fruition his original intent. A people of God, in the place of God, with access to the presence of God. God, how are you going to do that in this fallen world? Boom, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. I'm going to choose a man. And I'm going to make some promises to that man. That I'll make him a great nation. And he'll have a land forever and Through him, the whole world will be blessed. And the rest of our Bibles, you remember Rob Sweet doing this? He held his Bible like that and said, basically, you can take the whole thing from Genesis 12. This whole thing is about God fulfilling, keeping his promise to Abram. Uh, Last week, of course, he stepped into Egypt. Abram did. Michael walked us through that test of faith. He gets into Egypt and As Michael said, the test of faith is when we have a problem that our resources can't resolve. And, well, he couldn't resolve it, and he ended up, you know, telling some pretty ugly lies there. He lied about his wife, who was so beautiful. I mean, it just goes over and over. He thought, I'm going to die if if they know she's my wife. So he he lied about it. Um, We were in our community group this week, and uh, Michelle Arms, she had... uh, she had given Michael her program and said, look, I took notes on your message. And she had two words on her message notes from last week. Mary ugly. <laughs> Solves everything. So, you know, we, are, we were laughing about that, but we were also talking in our, in our community group about how Abram so far, I mean, we're only one chapter in, and it's like his faith is amazing. And his faith is appalling. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that so encourages me. <laughs> Because if Abram is our model of faith, and he is, you do understand that biblical faith, it's not up in the stratosphere, all those perfect saints that got it all right, everyone else can't, no, 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 no. No, the Bible itself brings it out of there and puts it right here and says biblical faith. Oh, it's amazing and it's appalling. It's good, it's bad. It's all the above. Well, I want to take the, the text and, and we'll take it in the sections that it comes at us. Uh, it, when we look at 13, the first part, 1 through 7, I'll, just, just for an outline purposes, keep this in your mind, a problem arises. So 1 through 7 is this problem arises. 8 through 18, problem resolved. So this is how the text goes. We're going to spend most of our time in the problem resolved, for there is the contrast. Look in your Bibles, follow along as I read. Genesis 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt. I got to stop there because we know Michael said last week, back in chapter 10, he went down to Egypt. Now in chapter 13, he goes up to Egypt. 
This inclusio, that was a whole section. So verse 1 is really the end of that section. We're beginning a new one. Went up from Egypt to the Negev, that's southern Israel, southern Canaan, he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. In the place of, in the, place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. There he worshipped. Let's hold that. Now Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. Problem. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Here's some foreshadowing. This is to come. Now, the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land. A problem arises. It's very self-evident, but we'll talk about it for a moment. Uh, Abram went down to Egypt with a lot of stuff. read, Read chapter 12. He comes out of Egypt with more. Side note. I don't get this. I'm not even sure what all's in this other than you cannot put God in a box. He went down to Egypt with a lot. He went down to Egypt in unfaith. He, he lied. And he comes out with more. He's loaded. He's got a nephew that's got not as much, quite frankly, but it's got a lot. It's probably focused upon the livestock because it says the shepherds, their herdsmen were arguing with each other. What do you think they were arguing about? That's my grass. And in particular, that's our water, right? So they are not getting along. Part of the reason they're not getting along is the Canaanite and the Perizzite are in the land, right? In other words, it's not all their land yet. It's only Abram's in promise. The problem arises. Well, in verses 8 through 18, the problem is resolved. What I want you to pay attention to It's not just that it's resolved, but how it's resolved and what it shows us about biblical faith. Follow along in your Bibles. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. If to the right, then I will go to the left. Everybody look up here for one moment. Multiple cultural geographic markers in the text. We won't hit them all, but I want you to note this one, that in our day, when we're given directions, we normally face a certain direction and say, you're going to go this way, this way, or that. We normally face, I I would suggest, north. You're facing north, so... But in this day, that's not what they did. In this day, they faced east. So when he's saying this, please know that Abram's saying, look, you you go to the left, north, I'll go south. You go to the right, south, very important. They were facing east as he said this. We'll come back to us in a moment. Verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere 
Warning, warning, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That it was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. Ding, 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 ding. Is that the garden of Eden? Yes, 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 yes. It was like the garden of God. Lush. Rivers flowing out. Like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar where the Nile spreads out and it's just lush. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom, foreshadowing. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, now... Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. Your seed, literally singular, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Third altar. Keep your finger right there on verse 18 and take your eyes to verse 4. He went to the place of the altar. You see that? So, so again, I just want you to see the inclusio. This story starts with an altar. The story ends with an altar. One way to put this in our minds is the story begins with worship. The the story concludes with worship. And therefore, whatever happens in between here, it is flowing from a heart that worships God. Not worships as in a heart that sings songs. That's a, a heart that's in communion with God, in fellowship with God. So this biblical faith we're going to see, you see, flows out of biblical worship. I want to I take one side note before I hit this contrast. I, I think it can help us in, in, just in a practical sense in this life of faith. Would you notice with me that in this text, 8 through 18, he repeats the word separate three times. Biblical Bible study methods, what's repeated? Three times. Look in your Bibles. I've got it circled. Verse 9, please separate from me. And then down in verse 11, thus they separated from each other. And then verse 14, after Lot had separated from him. We look at it and on the surface and appropriately, why did they separate? Because their herdsmen were fighting, absolutely. But I do believe there's something underneath the separation that our text hints at. I think it's this. Lot was never promised any land. Go back to Genesis 12. Who's promised the land? Abram and your descendants. 
Listen, Lot's a relative. He's not a descendant of Abram. What does Genesis 12, 1 to 3 say? It And Rob covered this. It's progressive. You need to leave your country. You need to leave your relatives. And you need to leave your dad's house because you're going to go to a new patriarch. Leave your relatives. When was Abram supposed to separate from Lot? Back in Genesis 12. And in this way, we can say Abram, or Lot, by the way, we'll see this later, is an obstacle. You see that? There's a way in which Lot's in the way. We can't, don't over-sympathize with, the te- over-sympathize with the story and go, well, guys, he's taking care of his nephew, his dad. Don't go there. Just let the text say what it says, and it says, leave your relatives. He didn't. He keeps Lot along. And so now this obstacle is going to be separated. Lot, by the way, chooses this land that's right on the edge of the promised land, just on the other side. And and I'm offering this because I think for many of us, okay, we sit here today and we have obstacles, don't we? I mean, do you have these things in your mind, in your heart? Man, if I could just get that taken care of then, oh, I've got this relationship. I've got, there's there's always obstacles to faith. How did Abram remove the obstacle. He didn't. God did. As Abram trusted by faith. Wherever you're at, I'm telling you, I get these things in my own head and ask myself the question, am I working to remove the obstacles? She's not my wife. Am I scheming to remove the, or am I trusting? Well, let's get to the contrast. I think there is absolutely a fundamental structure of biblical faith, the life of faith that's coming into focus. I want us to consider it. I got this concept, this idea, if you will, uh, from a commentary by Ian DeGuid. Ian writes a commentary. It's outstanding on, on the life of Abram. And it's 12, chapters 12 through 25, and he, and he titles it this, Living Living in, in, in the, the gap between the reality and the promise. He calls it a reality gap. I, I'm adapting it, and I'm, I'm calling this, I'm going to call it a faith gap. And, and I've, I'm going to illustrate it physically for you, because I just want this picture in your mind's eye. The life of faith, let's look at the life of Abraham. It really is, is it not, living in this tension between reality, okay, but what else does Abram have? I mean, this is a whole point of chapter 12 and even our whole Bibles. He also has the promise. And some of you guys can't see this. He has the promise. So it's living between the reality and the promise. And we just see this worked out in the story, right? We've already seen it worked out in this way at least. He had the promise that I'm going to make a, a, a great uh, nation through you. I'm going to, this is going to be your land. I'll make a great nation to you. But he had this, he had this reality when he got there. There's nothing to eat. I'm going to Egypt. Okay. So then, then, then you know, he, he's in Egypt and he's got this promise. He said, God promised, I'm going to, I'm going to make a nation through you. Your descendants, you're going to have descendants through you, Abram. That's the promise. But he's also got this, what? This reality. 
like the, the guy prayed. You remember that prayer? He prayed that NASCAR race. My wife is smoking hot. You know, he's got this wife that's beautiful and Pharaoh's going to want her. He's going to kill me to get her. So he's got this reality. I, I better lie. <laughs> okay. And, and now we come to another story. Abram's got the promise. This land is mine. God has given it to me. And he's got this reality. My nephew Lot, they're going to kill each other. We're going to fight and destroy each other. That's my reality. What's he going to do? Not this time. He's going to reach out and take the promise. How else does a man give it all away? Because he does. See, in this story, Abram, you, whatever you want, Lot. How, how, how can he do that? But that he believed the promise. It's mine. Because God said so. Now, we see him choose this promise in the contrast. This is what I want you to consider. I'm going to put it up behind me. Look at, look at this contrast between Lot's faith and Abram's faith. Just note these few things. When we do, we, we begin to recognize that, that Lot chose by what he saw. Abram chose not just by what he saw, but also by the promise that he believed. Let me hit these quickly. Notice that Lot, it says, lifted his eyes. But what does the text say of Abram? God said, lift your eyes. Big difference. The text says that Lot saw the valley, the Jordan. Just the valley, by the way. But what does the text say of Abram? Lot, or Abram looked up and saw the holy, north, south, east, west. The text says that Lot chose for himself, but it says that God gave it to Abram. Think about this. I think that it's much easier to take something than to receive it. Why, why would I say, why, why is, I think that's generally true. Why? Because I would suggest when you take something, you're in control. But when you receive it, you're not in control. The text tells us that what Lot chose, quite frankly, it's, it's destroyed. But that which Abram was given, what he received, you see, is his, how long? How long is it his? Forever. The text says that Lot journeyed eastward. It says that Abram settled in Canaan, back to the directional issue. When Adam and Eve were cast from the garden. They were cast what direction? East of the garden. And when Cain killed his brother, he was sent wandering which direction? East. And when the builders of the Tower of Babel were on the move, they were moving east. Don't go east. 
Go north or south. Don't go east. But it looks just like the Garden of Eden. It does, doesn't it? All of us looking for the garden. A lot of stuff looks like the garden. And if you only go by what you see, devastation, quite frankly. Said Lot moved his tents to Sodom. Those of us who you know know the Bible, we know that was a bad move. But Abram moved his tent to an altar. How about that? You see this? Lot lived only by the reality he saw. I'm suggesting that Abram, I really believe this, he did live by the reality. But he also chose to live by the promise. We're going to kill each other. We're gonna, these herdsmen are going to kill each other. It's mine because God said it was mine. You choose Lot. God's in control. And I want to suggest to us that this is the life of faith. See, the life of, of faith is not everything's awesome. It's great. No, the life of faith is Everything can be awesome. That's fantastic. What else to know in this fallen world? Uh, I am not doing well. This is not going as I planned. I'm hurting. And I have the promises. And Christ is mine. What did the psalmist say? Psalm 94. He said this. He said, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, I'm scared. I'm worth. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, thy consolations, your promises delight my soul. The life of faith, you see, is embracing our reality and bringing the promises of God to our reality. Let me get even more practical. It is to acknowledge and embrace our reality. Second Corinthians says, all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. See, this is the gospel. Yes, the reality. And yes, Christ has secured all for me and on my behalf. In Christ, I live in faith. You see that? When uh, my daughter, Sally, was just four, she's 14 now, um, I, I've told the story before 10 years ago told it, but I think it's so appropriate here speaking of what you know like in this, in this story it's Lot saw and chose but Abram saw and then saw the promise he didn't go just by sight only Abram saw what was not seen 
Sally is at the dinner table, and um, I don't know, Susan, my other, other daughter at the time, had given her some money from the piggy bank, I think. And so Sally was actually sitting at the dinner table, and she was bragging that she had more money than me. And because uh, her sister had given her some money. And, and I said, Sally, you, you don't even know how much money you have. And she said, I do. I, know I have more money than you. And I said, okay. I'm going to give you a choice. I gave Sally a choice. And in one hand, I put three pennies. I said, Sally, you can choose the three pennies or you can choose the one quarter. Which one did she choose? Give me the pennies. And Darden's 10, Susan's seven, and they're going, Sally, what are you doing? It's crazy. She goes, I got more money. Than, Sally, you don't have more money than dad. You They're going off on, on Sally. <laughs> Sally chose based on what she saw. Lot chose based on what he saw. Now, what if Sally had said to me when I did this, what if Sally had said, Dad, you know best. You know the value of things. Dad, I also know you, you only want my good. And so, Dad, I'm going to let you choose for me and, and, and give me the one that you know is best for me. What if Sally had done that? Well, that would have been a miracle, right? Because <laughs> four-year-olds four don't talk like that. Um, very few 40-year-olds talk like that. What if Lot had said, hey, Abram, I'm going to trust God to give me by the way, I was telling Sally before, I said, Sally, I gotta tell, I'm going to tell this story, and I always tell my kids, you know, I'll ask them before. She said, you didn't ask. I said, well, I did it 10 years ago. You know, you, you were four. And I told her, I told her what she, she chose, and she goes, why did I do that? Because <laughs> she wouldn't choose it today. Lot didn't ask. See, the life of faith, what's the life of faith? The life of faith would be to say, this is my reality but it's not the only thing I see. No, no, no. I see the promise. I'm going to hold the promise. So what? So what do you do with this? I'll invite you to ask the Holy Spirit. What, what's God inviting you to trust him for? What's he inviting? What promise is he inviting you to see? And believe. Would you consider that for a moment? Then I'll dismiss this.
Let's stand together. Let me remind you that, you know, in Christ, the promise has come. So, so, oh my, we have the promise. Let me remind you that there is a future promise. Revelation 21. I'm just going to read part of it. John writes, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. He who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Yes, we we have the promise now in Christ. All the promises of God, yes, in Christ. But gang, we don't have them fully and finally. That's why we're still crying and mourning. But there's coming the day. See, there is coming the day when he will wipe away every tear. Faith, this is graduate level faith in a sense, but faith, you see, at its core is, is when you and I so believe the promise that the promise and the reality, they're indistinguishable. Now, it's true in part now, but our future is it will be true in whole and forever. And in this, you see, is faith now and our hope today. God bless.